Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Yeah. Um, I planned a very nice presentation on our glorious digital screen. I was very modern in doing so. However, the modern device is broken. I know. So we will conclude the lecture for today right now. Thank you. No. No. I will still deliver, and I will give you a sense of what I've been wanting to present, and I think you'll get some of the essential ideas. And today I was to deal with a, a topic that, frankly, has been puzzling a lot of people uh, these days, is this phrase, this popular phrase known as spiritual but, re- but not religious. Spiritual but not religious. And this is a phrase that came into popularity around the year 2000 with the publication of a book by, okay, this is where the slides come in, a little helpful, um, Robert Fuller. And it, uh, he was identifying a very popular understanding that people have of themselves. Uh, even John Lennon, if you know who he is, uh, he said, um, I'm, um, I'm not religious. I'm not religious at all, but I'm very spiritual. So what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? So some people say, I am very religious. Some people say, I am not religious but I'm very spiritual. Other people say I'm neither religious nor am I spiritual. So we live in a confusing sort of uh, arrangement of faith. Now, the Bhagavad Gita tells us that everyone has faith. It is not a question of whether one is religious or not religious. Chapter 17, verse 3 it is explained that everyone has a faith and in fact everyone is made of this faith. Faith is the stuff that allows us to get up in the morning. Faith is the stuff that allows us to believe that something good is going to happen today. For me it didn't work out with the screen, but that's all right. Still so many good things are happening today to see all these bright faces. The idea is that everyone has faith. The atheist has faith. The secular humanist has faith. The scientism, the persons who believe in scientism, they have faith. Agnostics have faith. Theists have faith. Spiritual but not religious persons, by golly, they have faith too. But the question is, what are the differences? And I'm going to read to you some words of Prabhupada, Srila Prabhupada, who who really had such deep insights into the nature of people's faiths. Right off the bat, I'd like you to picture 
um, a scale, at the bottom of which are the categories of atheism, secular humanism, and scientism. Okay, that's at the bottom. And these people generally have no interest in spirituality, religiosity, even agnosticism. Above them would be agnosticism. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the word, an agnostic is someone who says, I know there's some higher power. I know there's some higher being, some spirit. But, but you can't talk about it. No one, I don't believe someone can talk about it. Now, this is very Immanuel Kantian. Immanuel Kant also came along and said that. You can, there is a higher power, but we are, we are not capable of speaking about such grand realms of reality. It's beyond our capacities. And this is not an unreasonable assertion. So that's agnosticism. Above agnosticism would be SBNR, spiritual but not religious, which is caught between theisms and agnosticisms. So spiritual but not religious is somewhere in between this new category, which I'm going to try to identify for all of you. Now I'd like to read a passage that Srila Prabhupada writes. Bhakti yoga means connecting ourselves with Krishna, God, and becoming his eternal associates. Bhakti yoga cannot be applied to any other objective. Therefore, in Buddhism, for instance, there is no bhakti yoga because they do not recognize the Supreme Lord existing as the supreme objective. Christians, however, practice bhakti yoga when they worship Jesus, accepting God, unless one accepts God, there is no question of bhakti yoga. This is Prabhupada's main point. He insists that bhakti is there, present in all religion, all true religion, but those traditions that do not accept a divine supreme being uh, cannot be considered um, uh, practicing bhakti yoga. However, elsewhere, Prabhupada says some things that may qualify that a little bit. Christianity, therefore, is also a form of Vaishnavism because God is recognized. Nonetheless, there are different stages of God realization. Mainly, Christianity says God is great, and that is a very good assertion. And Srimad Bhagavatam, I'm sorry, but the actual greatness of God can be understood from Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. Accepting the greatness of God is the beginning of bhakti. Bhakti yoga also exists among Muslims because God is the target of the Muslim religion or the Islamic religion. However, there is no recognition of a personal God. In other words, there is only impersonalism. If there is only impersonalism, there is no question of bhakti yoga. Now, some of the things I'd like to point out in having been someone who's been reading Prabhupada's books for, well, for about 50 years, I'm now giving you a hint of my age. I didn't join the movement when I was two. So, but there are four things that Prabhupada states 
when you read, when you give a, a panoramic view of his books, four things. The first thing is, he ultimately says that bhakti lies dormant in all humans. Because every human is conducted by the heart. Every human has faith. It's a question of how developed that heart, that faith becomes. Krishna Bhakti is about developing that heart and that faith in the ultimate sense. That is what we are about. But not everyone is so fortunate. So there are different gradations of this. Number two, Bhakti develops in stages, both at the levels of practice and perfection. So there are different stages of bhakti within practice and within perfection. Bhakti exists in all true religions. This is number three, and that we just heard in the passage I read. And number four, as I just said a few seconds ago, bhakti reaches special and unique heights in the Chaitanya Vaishnava tradition. So we have, we're very fortunate because here we develop the finest dimensions of the heart, the finest dimensions of faith and love and devotion. So, let me see here. Uh, okay, so here's, here's the issue. The spiritual but not religious people are there because institutional religion, which often traditional religions take, they take the form of an institution, spiritual but not religious are a reaction to the weaknesses that we can sometimes find in institutional religion. So first we have to understand what, what does that mean. You see, when religious persons come together in a tradition, they come together in communities, and then the communities have to be organized, and then there have to be people running the community or the organization. And so that's an institution. So religious often denotes a, doctrin a doctrinally driven practice, traditional ways, scriptural literalism, prescriptive expression, membership-oriented, submission to authority, guided thinking, self-sacrificing, sometimes compromising, doctrine and institution above or more important than persons. So these can be some of the difficult aspects and challenges of religion, of institutional religions. Prabhupada created, as we all know, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. He didn't produce a club. Um, he didn't you know, produce technically a church, but a society. And a society refers to the social interactions of persons. And when we're talking about the social interactions of persons, we are talking about how every person is important. The challenge, I think, for our society is to make sure that the institution is never more important than the person or that the person would be more important than the institution. There is a movement between the two. 
The problem with uh, in many institutional religions is that the institution is favored over the individual. And so we have in various traditions various problems that seep into the institution. Spiritual but not religious persons like to escape those challenges of institutionalized religion. But one thing I can tell you is that SBNR people don't build beautiful temples like this and the beautiful temple that's going to be built up on the hill. They don't build great edifices of, and in fact, I had all kinds of gorgeous pictures for you to see, but uh, this you'll have to take to the management here. Again, the institution has failed me. Um, however, uh, the institution has not failed me in, SBNR will not produce the exquisite vision of the divine. I mean, let's just get right down to it. That's just, you will not find that there. Now, I, now in defining uh, religious identities, um, okay, here's, here are some of the things that spiritual but not religious persons really accept and really promote. Institutional disaffiliation. They do not belong to any particular institution. Doctrine-free practices. Untraditional ways of, uh, of being spiritual. Scripture subject to unlimited interpretation. Free expression. No membership to a community. One's authority is oneself. Okay. Free thinking. Self-searching, realization, the individual and like-minded persons are important, etc., etc. Now, here's the problem. Okay, I've outlined here, and I'm going to try to convey this somewhat complex chart. Religious identity can be seen at three levels. Okay, and you can follow me carefully here. Passive active and definitive. Now, this is my own analysis, okay? After 45 years in the academy, talking to endless numbers of Sunday feast crowds, um, uh, pursuing a world of religion wherever I can, I find that religious persons have either a passive identity, an active identity, or a definitive identity. Each one of these becoming more intensive, more committed. Passive is, I know I'm a Christian, but I don't do anything about it. I mean, I know I'm a Christian because I know I'm not a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu. So I've just identified with it. It's just, that's just me. I'm a Christian. And that's important sometimes for people. Prabhupada did not like passive um, participants, so-called participants, in religion. He always said, if you are a Christian, then practice it. Go deep with it. And that's where active is better. An active Christian or religious practitioner would be an observant person. I'm a Christian and I observe. I go to the high holy days in the church. I go to, I don't know, bingo games, whatever they do. I don't know. No, whatever they do. 
and, 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 but they also do, I mean, I, I don't mean to disparage Christianity. It's a beautiful, beautiful tradition. And I've studied it very carefully in depth in graduate school. Now, the thing is that, um, that active means observant. And I do it sort of the way that I was taught and the way that um, uh, is sort of regular. But a definitive Christian is someone who takes a teacher, who goes deep, practice daily, practices daily, uh, is a very deeply serious person who applies the practice of Christian principles and faith every day. So that would be true, say, with a Hindu. A Hindu, I know I'm a Hindu. I'm a Hindu because I, I, I don't identify with anything else. I'm, I'm a Hindu. My parents were Hindu, and their parents were Hindu. And my grandparents... They were active Hindus because they did the puja, just like their parents did and their parents did. But the definitive Hindu is one who accepts the guru, accepts a teaching, practices, and goes deep every day in the tradition. So the definitive religious practitioner is someone who plunges the depths of the heart and the soul. This is not SBNR. The spiritual but not religious remain at the passive level. If they're active at all, they're searching. They're, they're shopping. It's a little bit like being in a mall that you've never seen before, and you, you kind of go window shopping. I don't really know how window shopping works, because you're outside the, the store. So how do you shop? Does that work? Window shopping. I don't know. It sounds like you're buying windows. You're imagining things to buy. Got it. Okay. You're imagining purchasing things. And this really works. This is good. Thank you. An extra credit for you. That's great. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not at the university. I'm so sorry for bougie. Okay. The point is that you imagine taking up things. You uh, you know, we, we might have an, an SBNR person right here, right now, in our very midst. Who are you? Okay, don't, I, I don't want to. Anyway, the point is that's perfectly fine. They're exploring, just like the window shopper, who imagines, like, well, what would it be like to be around such wonderful, bright-faced people all the time? Worshipping these beautiful, beautiful, exquisite forms of Radha and Krishna. What would it be like? What, what would it be like to, to become friends with Palakaji and some of these old senior devotees? Not, I mean, old, but, you know, venerable. Venerable. Yeah, like Anuttamaji and, and Haridasji and so many wonderful devotees here. Right? So, what would it be like to be friends with them? So it's exploratory, but that's as far as it goes. There is an assumption. Okay, now let me add another category to passive, active, and definitive. Okay, that comes down the left column. Across the top is narrow-minded, uh, open-minded, and broad-minded. So you can be a passive Hindu and very broad-minded, and very broad-minded. But you can also be an active Hindu 
and very narrow-minded. Is this a little is this TMI or are we all right with this? Okay. The idea here is narrow-minded, open-minded, and broad-minded are the natural stages through which a definitive bhakta goes because of starting out as a beginning bhakta, we practice in a sort of very narrow framework. You know, it, bhakti, we start taking up the principles of bhakti yoga, and we, we do this in a very narrow space. We're not very well aware of all of the community uh, um, kinds of sevas or, or how to serve other people's hearts yet. So that might be a definitive bhakta, narrow-minded, or what we sometimes call kanishta. Okay? But then, as one advances, a definitive bhakta becomes open-minded, is much more aware of the philosophical tenets given by Prabhupada and advanced Vaishnavas. They're much more aware of this, and they're much more sensitive to other people's thoughts and feelings. Whereas a definitive narrow-minded uh, says, I, I, I'm not interested in you. I'm just practicing my bhakti yoga here. You know, get away from me. I'm not, I'm exaggerating here. I've actually never met a bhakti who did that. But the point is, they're narrowly focused. Advanced, they become open-minded. They're connecting with people more, the hearts of people. They're generous. They're very generous of their minds and hearts. They offer much to people's faith, and they inspire people. A definitive, broad-minded bhakta is the ultimate stage, where such a Vaishnava is just loving everyone. He or she is absolutely taking um, in everyone, accepting everyone for who they are at a very non-judgmental level. Uh, love means to accept the whole package, to accept um, beginning devotees at their stages and, and more advanced devotees at their stages and so on. Accept all people at every stage. And if a definitive broad-minded bhakta encounters a spiritual but not religious person, he or she will understand that they are there right where they should be, but let me see if I can inspire them a little bit more. And Prabhupada makes a statement to that effect, if I can find it. Somewhere here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he says, here we go. No, that's not it. Let's see here. Ah, here we go. We should not criticize others' methods of religion. There are different types of religious systems operating under different qualities of material nature. The gunas, the trigunya. So when I talk about passive, active, and definitive, I am talking about um, tamasa, Rajasa and Sattvika. Okay? Tamasa means dark. It means narrow. You know, just, it, it's, a, it's passive. It, it means very sort of inert. Uh, un, not expansive yet. But Rajasa means expansive. 
And sattvika means pure, deep. So the idea is, um, and the same thing with narrow-minded, open-minded, and broad-minded. Narrow-minded is tamasa, again, very narrow, uh, dark, darker. And um, uh, um, open-minded, rajasa, and broad-minded, sattvika. So a devotee, instead of criticizing such systems, will encourage fo the followers to stick to their principles so that gradually they come to the platform of religion and goodness. So the more sattvika we become under the guidance of wonderful, loving Vaishnavas, the more we will be able to stir that up in others, inspire that in others. So uh, we can, our, the ability to inspire others is commensurately related to how inspired we are. Now let's say someone came here and everyone here were just nasty. Why would anyone stay? No one would stay. These are nasty people. Let me leave. Let me go someplace where, they're, they're, where people are full, full of goodness in their hearts. But bhakti is all about excavating the heart, purifying the heart of the conditionings that block our natural ability to have our hearts flow to others. Prabhupada says here very clearly, we don't criticize. So even if there is an SBNR person, we should not pounce on them. We should say, what is your exploration? What, what, it, what are you doing? What are you finding out there? What do you see here that you might want to know more about? Help them along their path. That is the compassion of a Vaishnava. That is our method. Well, I can, there, there's much more I could say, but I want to leave a little time for comments and questions. But the idea here is SBNR are people searching. They're people exploring. And this needs to be respected. Absolutely needs to be respected. And it is our failure if we cannot elevate them and inspire them. It is not theirs. It is up to us to extend this exquisite bhakti yoga tradition to those who are searching. That is our, that is our task. Not an easy task, but that is our task. So I'll stop there and just, um, because the uh, institutional authorities told, I didn't know they were standing right there. I, uh, uh, told me that at a quarter of, I should stop and accept any comments or questions. Hare Krishna. Yes. Prabhu, thank you so much for this deep subject matter. Um, you broadened the view um, of you know, how the definition of bhakti when you mentioned, if I understood correctly, that any person who accepts a superior person um, as a person is existing and he renders service, you know, actively or passively, is considered as a bhakti or little bhakti is there, right? And you gave example of, uh, you know, nice traditions, Christian traditions, they accept, they accept that God is a person, and another tradition you gave. But is it 
true that by nature, because people in different modes, they accept, it's natural that we accept somebody has, as a superior authority existing, uh, in passion and ignorance also, can it be considered as a, a definition of bhakti? Be- because, you know, the way definition is given, you know, yeah. Um, like, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. One, can you please six. make it very mm-hmm. clear? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, you know, yes, it is explained in the Bhakti Sutra, it's explained in the Bhagavata Purana, um, and, uh, and then, of course, the Bhagavad Gita, 17th chapter, the, the gunas can affect one's bhakti. When we inter- but let, let me give all of you the shortcut if you're not already doing this, let me give you the shortcut to open-minded and broad-minded bhakti in dealing with others. The best thing we can share, and bhakti means sharing, the best thing we can share with people is not doctrinal imperatives and exigencies. You know, Krishna says this, says this, so you should surrender. Share with others what you love so much about coming here. What do you love so much about your Krishna Bhakti practice? And if you're not sure what you love, I suggest you look for that, okay? Or cultivate some part of it that you do love. At a certain point, you'll love everything about it. You'll just love everything. You could go on forever. So just pick a few things. Share that with someone and then ask them, What do they love about their exploration? What have they loved about their spiritual but not religious position? What has been exhilarating to them? What have they been finding? Show them that you have the capacity to be sensitive to their thoughts and their experiences. That is a bhakta. To be truly empathic and compassionate and understanding. But we can't do that we haven't developed that softness of heart in our own bhakti practice. So, we can, don't worry about the trigunya at this point, in yourself or in others. Go right to the heart of the matter, literally and figuratively. What do you love? Let me share with you what I love so much about coming to this temple, this Radhamadhanmohan temple. Let me share with you. And no one can argue that down. If you say Krishna is God, they say, oh, well, um, my understanding is Jesus is God. And then there's a whole thing. Yeah. Mahaprabhu says, even great sages disagree on points of philosophy. But it is the behavior of a devotee that establishes the principles of religion. Dharma stapanahitu shadur byabhara. It's right there in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Is this helpful? Thank you. Usually we try to have men and ladies. Yeah, anybody from the ladies side? I can go along with that. That's fine. Yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm all for that. No, we'll just wait for a lady to come up with a question. If it's time for a lady to come up with a question, come on, Brother Bihar, let's do this right. It's the institutional policy, is it not? No, it's my bhakti experience. Okay, it's your bhakti experience. That's fine. Okay. Do we have any ladies? One question here. You're not a lady. Sir, Prabhuji. 
Okay. But my better half is a lady. Oh, so. Okay, fine. Just speak on behalf of her. That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, Krishna says Sarvadharman Parityadya, right? I'm familiar so, with that. Yeah. Right. So I thought the it's always about being spiritual uh, and not really worry about religion too much. Oh, okay. Yes. So, Sarvadharman Parityadya means, you know, relinquish all forms of dharma, which is funny because Krishna is speaking about dharma all throughout the whole Gita. So now he says, now relinquish it. But that's love. The only way to relinquish that is to be totally in your heart. We still maintain dharma, but we relinquish it at the ultimate level because that is the nature of love. But, so it's a paradox. The very first word of the Gita is what? Dharma. Yes, thank you. Dharma Kshetre, Kuru Kshetre, right? So Dharma, in, you know, also can mean so many different things. There, Prabhupada translates, give up all varieties of religion and come to the one shelter that is me, Krishna. That is I, Krishna says. Ekam Sharanam Vraja. So, so the idea then is um, uh, you, you, religion becomes something that Prabhupada speaks of as relative to this world. There are many different cultures, many different peoples, so naturally there are different religions for different peoples. But then he says the religion of the heart is universal. He did say, you heard him say something about Buddhism. There's no, bhakti in, there's no God, so there's no bhakti in Buddhism. Well, there are forms of Buddhism, that exercise the heart. And eventually they're going to have to find an object of love. So whoever comes here, it is our job to make sure that their hearts are being exercised. And we can do that again, depending on how much we have exercised our hearts. But it is true. Sarvadharman prityajya. Their religion is being spoken of as an external process in the world. After all, Dharma Kshetri, on the field of Dharma. Okay, that's a physical field in the world. But the Hridaya Kshetra, that's the ultimate Kshetra. Hridaya Kshetra. Oh, are we ending or is that? Oh, okay. I. I thought they were trying to get rid of me early. I, okay. I thought they had enough. Yeah. Microphone. Yes. All right. Um, when you think of people who are in that, uh, what you called defined as well as broad minded, mm-hmm. um, could you describe more what you feel like their actions would be or their beliefs would be? How are you broad-minded if you're defined? Are you willing to change your beliefs when you listen to others? What, how does that, what does that look like? Yeah, very good, very good. Um, uh, the deeper one goes into one's traditional faith, it, it, it seems really narrow, right? But you're going deep, deep, deep. Just like when you dig a well. 
But at some point, you hit an underground river. And that connects to all the other wells. It doesn't mean that your well is exactly the same as their well, but that's okay. Ultimately, all religion is religion of the heart. All spirituality, but not religious, they're trying to find the heart. Even agnostics, they want to preserve the, the dignity of divinity without talking about it, because that could be reductionistic. Um, even they have a heart. And then there's the secular humanist who believes in the goodness of humans. They have a heart. Then there are the atheists. I mean, I have, some of my best friends are, well, not really. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm sure they're nice people. I've never, I mean, anyway, they're, they're nice people. But, um, no, I teach a lot of atheists. I have dozens and dozens of students in my classes, hundreds a year, who come in atheistic. And uh, they come out a little differently by the time I get through with them. But the point is that it's, again, about lifting people's hearts. So just because we're very focused and going in depth in bhakti here doesn't mean we can't be universally connected with all really, really good-natured, religious, spiritual humanistic persons. In fact, it should mean that we can more connect than ever. That's what it should be. The, the generosity of heart of a bhakta who is definitive, who has is, who is, um, accepted spiritual teachers to guide him or her on their way, and a person who is, has um, seen such depth of, of beauty and exquisite um, uh, descriptions of the divine and lives in relation to those can go anywhere and connect with anyone. Oh. Um, he gave me the mic. So, um, Thank you very much for the thoughtful explanation. I'm wondering, one of the things you're kind of giving some practical advice to us uh, to go deep in our own faith and understanding other people's faith sometimes it may seem to be a challenge how can I go deep in my faith or my tradition and the same type acknowledge the truth the validity of others uh, you know Christian at least in some places 1866 abandon everything else and just focus on me introduction of Bhagavad Gita Prabhupada says kind of triumphantly yeah one, you know, one book, one mantra, etc. Right. And we meet other people from other traditions who are very happy to let you know that their way is the way, the truth, etc. And you know, and, and there's people who would advocate that aspect of practically every tradition in the world. So sometimes it actually does become a challenge for us. I'm wondering if you can maybe give some advice that Krishna's demanding some degree of, of loyalty and maybe not exclusivity, but you know, it's there. It's so... I come to the temple, it's like, this is the mantra. And, you know, you're supposed to follow these principles and you have to give up those things. And then you're kind of asking me to go out in the world and see people that don't chant that mantra, don't give up those things. In fact, might even seem to be enjoying those same things that I've just told i got to give up. Yeah. And you're telling me, hey, God's everywhere. 
So sometimes it's a dilemma for us yes. to deal with that. So can you explore that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, bhakti means sharing. It comes from the verb root uh, bhaj, which one of its primary verbal meanings means to share. We are meant to share our hearts with others. I have to tell you, we, my wife and I had a... Uh, a, uh, a property down in uh, Alachua in Florida, and it was on 17 acres, and we used it as like a getaway retreat. And, you know, no one comes by when there's 17 acres between properties. So one morning, there's a knock on the door. And I look at my wife, I said, who, who could that be? And she kind of looked sheepishly at me, and she said, um, there are a couple of people I'd like you to, to meet. I've met them, and... Uh, I'd like you to meet them. I said, well, this is too mysterious. Well, who would these two people be? I said, it sounds like a, like a Jehovah's Witness. Is it Jehovah's Witness? She said, well, um, honestly, yes. So very nice couple come into the living room. You know, this is not my idea of a Sunday morning of writing and, you know, so on. So she, they, they come in. They're sitting in chairs. My wife and I are sitting on the couch. That's important information. You'll see why. Because they come in, I ask them about themselves. They heard I'm a professor of religion. So I asked them about themselves. And uh, I said, and then I said, after hearing their backgrounds, I said, so what do you, what do you love about being a Jehovah's Witness? And I got a kick under the couch from my wife. Because, you see, in spousal language, that means be nice. Okay? But, I, but she, see, she knows me well because I'm going in. I want to find out what, they, what they're about. I said, what do you love? They both answered in unison, saying, knowing the truth. I mean, I didn't expect both of them to say in unison exactly the same words. This kind of, you know, sort of or, orchest, orchestral response. And I said, so you love knowing the truth. In other words, you love knowing that you know the truth. And they said, yes. I said, so that, so that means you're here because you know the truth and you want to share with us your truth. And they said, yes, the truth. I said, the truth, because there's only one truth, right? And they said, yeah. So in other words, you're going to your heaven... And you want to see if you can make us Jehovah's Witnesses so we can go to your heaven instead of your hell, right? They said, yes. I said, well, that's very generous of you. I really, no, no one's ever cared about me so much ever in my whole life. I, I, I mean, even my parents, I don't think, really, you know, showed that much care. I said, you know, but, but here's the problem. You know, I just met several other people and who said that from other traditions, they were there to help me not go to their hell. It seems like I'm going to be visiting many different hells when I get down there because I, I'm, I'm signed up on the Jehovah's Witness hell, and there are many denominations. Anyway, and so I get a double kick under the couch because my wife feels I'm getting a little too intense as a Newtman knows I can get, because we're old friends. So I'm saying, look, 
I don't think this is what the world needs. I think you're both wonderful people. You're very, it's very enjoyable to speak with you, despite the fact that you were not supposed to come here this morning. I didn't say that. I thought that, honestly. But I said, the, what the world needs now is not imposing a faith, but sharing. And Anutmaji, that is what I feel is the highest ground that Bhakti offers a world, really, that is very alienating, very alienating in so many different ways. Bhaktas, there isn't anyone I can't talk to. There isn't anyone Pollock can't talk to. He's talking to people all the time, down on the mall, all the time. He doesn't look at one person and say, ah, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure he doesn't. He will talk with anyone. A Bhaktas heart is open fully open, totally open wide. So it's sharing. I don't think it's preaching. I think it's sharing that is really the ultimate relationship that we can have with one another and what humanity needs now. We really need that. Did you want to add something, Anutmaji? Just one sentence, that we sometimes think sharing means telling, but mm. sharing means first and foremost listening and then there's an opportunity to also offer what I have. So right. it has to begin with the willingness to listen. And as I think you're trying to help us understand, as Christian says many places throughout his teachings, he's in everyone's heart. Yes. And he's helping everyone come back to them. Yes. So if someone shares some inspiration on their own spiritual path, as a Vaishnava, we know Krishna's in their heart and helping them along this path. Just see how my Lord is helping this person. Maybe a path very different from mine. But just see how Krishna is helping this person along their path. And that should help deepen our love for Krishna, seeing how he's working in so many ways. Mm, beautifully put. Yes. In fact, it is, it is the sharing that is at the basis of our actual process that we practice. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu Asmarnam. Shravanam means reception. So we should hear one another. We should hear what people have to say. Kirtanam. We should contribute something. So there's a back and forth balance of, of, of being receptive and contributing. That's conversation. Something humans love to do. So why not converse about, not what hell I'm going to end up in, but, but what is so loved about your tradition? I want to know. And then let me share with you what I love so much. And then both persons are lifted up into a new sense of community. And we transcend the boundaries of this community even and meet at heart level. And that's when an institution serves the hearts of its individuals, when it can go beyond its boundaries. And I think that's the sad thing that SBNRs don't realize, that the, the, the ability to come together as a community just like we're doing today and we can share so much. And now, of course, is the most important thing to share is Krishna Prasadam. So let us thank His Grace Guru Prabhu. How do you